Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What's up, everybody? You are listening to another episode of Life in English. I'm your host, Tony Kazen, and I'm coming to you on a beautiful day. A beautiful Saturday morning here in Sao Paulo, Brazil. It's about 18 degrees right now. The sun is shining. It's 9.30 in the morning, um, which is crazy because it means, I mean, it's supposed to get up to like 28 degrees today, bro, which is even crazier because just a few days ago, it was like 11 degrees. It makes no sense, you know, but at least you get some variety. You know, you get all four seasons. Actually, you only get two. You get summer and winter, extreme summer and extreme winter. That's all you get with a little bit of rain scattered throughout your month. That's basically Sao Paulo, you know. But anyway, man, things are great here. I'm really enjoying my time in this marvelous mega city. And uh, I hope everything is good with you, too. You know what I'm saying? Because today I got a special episode for you. Today we're talking about uh, American English accents. You know, different accents that you're going to hear uh, when you come to the United States, for example, or when you talk to people from the United States, you know. And in a, like just to give you some perspective, in a country like Brazil, for example, where they speak Portuguese, there are so many different accents and dialects that you can find in one country. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, there are about 200 million people in this country, in Brazil. And the amount of accents that you can find, obviously, is not 200 million, but there's there's so many. But then when I look at the United States, we have a lot of accents, but not as many as you'll find here. But anyway, it's besides the point. It's besides the point. In the United States, we got about 300 million people, and we have a lot of accents, but I would say you can really divide it into maybe four or five regions, like the West Coast accent which is something similar to mine. I'm from California, or that's where I spent most of my life. And I would say my accent is most like people from California. And then you got down south, which is like Texas, Alabama, Louisiana, uh, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, that region. 
And then you can go over to the East Coast, which is kind of like, you know, maybe Washington, D.C. would be included in the East Coast. But then you got New York, um, Boston, Massachusetts, Philadelphia, you know, uh, that area there. And then you got the Midwest, which is like um, Chicago, Illinois, Minnesota, Detroit, Michigan. Um, let me think. Madison, Wisconsin, that area. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sure you could like, even in all those regions, you can divide them into even smaller regions and find different accents or dialects. But I would say in general, using the macro view, you can divide it into those regions, West Coast, East Coast, Down South, and Midwest, you know? And today, we're focusing on the West Coast. I was going to try and expose you to all the different accents in one podcast, but I think that podcast would be like two or three hours. So I'm going to divide this subject into episodes. So in this episode, we're going to focus on the West Coast. All right. So how's this going to work? You might be asking yourself. Well, I got five different people from the West Coast. And what we're going to do, or what I'm going to do is... I'm going to introduce one person, tell you a little bit about them, where they come from, and then I'm going to play an audio clip of this person, like from an interview that they've done, just so you can hear them speaking, you know, during a few minutes. And then after the audio clip, I'm going to explain maybe a few words or expressions or things like that, that they've said that I imagine aren't extremely easy to understand. Maybe some things I imagine that you've never heard before. You know what I'm saying? And then we'll just repeat that process with person number three. No, person number two, three, four, and five. And that's basically what we're going to do. I mean, very simple format, and uh, I hope you enjoy. So, without further ado, let's get started, man. So, this first uh, special guest, I guess you can say, the first uh, person that we got today on the podcast is Travis Barker. Now, I'm sure... I shouldn't say most, but many people have heard of the American rock band Blink-182. That's Blink-182. And um, Travis Barker is best known as the drummer for Blink-182. But he also produces uh, music for rap artists, and he's he's done collaborations with uh, many other musicians. But he's best known as the drummer um, for Blink-182. Now, he, Travis Barker, he was born in a city called Fontana, California. And Fontana is about 80 kilometers from Los Angeles. Okay, so he's basically from Los Angeles, California. You know, I imagine that after being born in Fontana, he eventually moved to the city of Los Angeles. And um, you'll definitely, after this podcast, you should be very familiar with the West Coast, or at least the California accent, because... When most people say West Coast, we're really talking about California. I mean, you also have the state of Oregon. You also have the state of Washington, which are above the state of California geographically. But we're really talking about California, you know. I've never been to Washington or Oregon, but I imagine the accent from those states is very similar to what you'll find in California. Because it's all the same region, you know what I'm saying? So anyway... Travis Barker, uh, in this audio clip that I'm going to play for you, um, it's from the Joe Rogan Experience. And if you've never heard of that podcast, I highly recommend you check it out. I think I've talked about it on this podcast before. Um, So just go to YouTube, type in J-R-E or Joe Rogan Experience. It's an amazing podcast, man. He actually 
is the person that uh, basically inspired and influenced me to start my own podcast. But anyway, this audio clip is from the Joe Rogan Experience, and Travis Barker is going to talk about his experience as a professional drummer, okay? So the first person you're going to hear who asked the first question is Joe Rogan. And um, his accent, like I've said before on this podcast, is kind of like a mixture between Boston and San Francisco, California. You know what I'm saying? Two completely different sides of the country in one person, you know. But we're not focusing on that accent today. We're focusing on the West Coast accent. So the second person you're going to hear is Travis Barker. All right? So let's get to it. Is is drumming a young man's game? I mean, is it like athletics where as you get older, drummers slow down? I don't know. I haven't. I played just as wild as I did back in the day. And how old are you now? 43. You look great. Oh, thank you. You don't look 43. Yeah, Max Weinberg told me one time, he was he watched me play, and he was like at a show where Blink played, and he's like, I don't know how much longer you can play like that. Because <laughs> you like, fucking really? go hard, dude. He's like, you're going to need back surgery. You play like you have like, rabies. Okay. Yeah, you're just <laughs> smashing the fucking drums. So knock on wood, nothing has changed, and I've just, I play exactly how I always have, you know? Um... I don't even want to think about a day where I have to play any different. Right. I'm sure it'll come, but... Do you get massages? Yes. That, that'll that help a lot, right? Yeah. Massages, Epsom salt baths. Um, That's where the tank comes in play, man. Yeah, that thing looks the, amazing. The, the tank is all Epsom salts. Look at you, dude. You're going fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> when you watch that, I would watch you play, and I would just go, how the fuck can this guy maintain this pace? Because everybody drums differently, you know? I mean, it's, it's really interesting to watch people's different... Especially uh, my friend Bill Burr really got into drumming. And, uh, you know, he's, he's really into it. And I like watching him play. And it's, it's interesting to see someone take something up and get better and take lessons and learn it. But the thing that really strikes me is how many repetitions are involved. Like, as you're doing this, like, the, the amount of times you're hitting these drums is fucking insanity. You gotta pace yourself. If it's a two-hour set, mm-hmm. I know like, oh, this is a verse of this song. I can kind of. This is not a big, big part. You know, mm-hmm. you can kind of chill. But it's like a round. You know, if you're right. doing a round, look up in the clock and you realize, oh wow, I still have two minutes left. Yeah. Well, pace yourself, and you know what I mean. Yeah. That's kind of how I approach shows. But, but the goal is to train so much before you even get on tour that you're not even having to think about that. You're just playing the show exactly how you want to play. It's almost, I imagine it's like that with fighting where you envision what you want to do in your head and you're in the shape and you know the technique to execute. Mm. You don't have to think about it or go like, oh, I can't do that. I'm not, I didn't practice that enough. I, I like to be able to just do whatever I'm feeling and not, you know, be like, well, shit, I, I don't know how to do that. Or, I'm going to get tired if I do that. I don't want that to happen. Right. You know? So that's the goal. It's just being able to execute what you have, the idea in your head. Well, musicians have to have discipline because you have to practice. It's, yeah. it's, that's one of the things that makes you guys so unique in the entertainment world. It's like, I mean, I guess maybe actors have to practice. Stand-up comedians, we only practice in front of an audience. But you guys have to fucking practice. Like, so you don't no go through your show? Around. No. Before you go out? No, I write. I wow. write and I, I listen to recordings of old sets, but I don't like sit in front of a mirror and go, hey, folks. Yeah. I don't do that. I don't know anybody that Because it would that. feel so weird when you go up to do it. It would feel rehearsed, right? 
Yeah, that's the last thing you want. You got to be in the moment. Gotta... Same thing happens with uh, if you practice too much as a band and then you go try to play those songs and act like you're having fun. That right. same thing happens. So I try to practice a lot on my own and I'm not even practicing those songs. Just kind of just drill, you know? Yeah. But... Like Sam Kinison used to have a joke about the Beach Boys, about uh, they're, they're going out there like playing, I wish they could all be California girls again. Yeah. And like, Jesus fucking yeah. Christ, I wish they all could. Like it becomes a job that you yeah. don't want that. You, you want it to be fresh and exciting and you want it to be something that you're really in the moment and really thinking about. So I make up new shit on the spot too. That's the best is I just make up new fills or just try to reinvent the songs to the point where even like Mark will look back at me and be like, whoa. You know what I mean? Whatever. Like, that's the best, you know? Just kind of f- freaking it on the fly. Right. And and even to the crowd, it's like, whoa, that's that's cool. You haven't heard it like that before. Yeah. So that's like after two or three months of being on tour, you do stuff like that. Yeah. When you get off tour, do you consciously give yourself a rest? No. I'm busier at home than I am on tour. On tour is so lavish, man. Like, you have, you have someone saying... I mean, you do have people kind of waiting on you hand and foot somewhat, you know, like, hey, mm-hmm. catering's, you know, ready if you want to eat or, hey, you got to go do an interview 30 minutes before you go on stage, uh, car's outside waiting for you after the show, taking you to the hotel. So that doesn't happen at home. Right. You know, and at home, I do so many other things besides playing the band. Like I, you know, produce a bunch of rap artists. Um, I have Crossroads. I have clothing companies. I have three kids. It's way busier at home. Tour is, tour is a vacation. That's interesting. Yeah, for me. Wow. Because I don't know how to say no either. Mind you, I have a lot of things I love that I love doing, so I can't complain and be like, oh, I hate going to the studio. I hate doing this. I love it all. I just kind of love it all so much that I have trouble saying no sometimes. All right. So um, hopefully you could understand pretty easily Uh, Everything that Travis Barker was saying, like I said, just to restate the obvious, this accent is from the West Coast, Los Angeles, California. And many people say that the West Coast accent, particularly the California accent, is the easiest to understand when you talk about um, the American dialect of English in general, you know, because you'll see in the next podcast episodes like people from down south or people from you know boston or the inner city of new york the accent is is uh i guess the best word would be stronger you know what i'm saying so it can be a little more difficult to understand especially when people are speaking fast you know what i'm saying but anyway now we're going to talk about a few words or, or phrases that were used in that last audio clip just so you can get a better understanding of everything that was said So at the beginning of the audio clip, Joe Rogan asked Travis, he said, is he said something like, is drumming a young man's game? And a young man's game is just it's an expression that basically means something that's for young people. You know what I'm saying? Like fighting in the UFC is a young man's game because, you know, when when you're younger, you have more athletic ability you're faster you're stronger you have more stamina you can take more punches to the face i guess but you know an older man who's like 65 trying to fight in the ufc you know he doesn't have a very great chance of being successful it's not an old man's game you know what i'm saying it's a young man's game and then um travis went on to say i play just as wild 
as I did before or as I did when I was younger. And the word wild is kind of like another word for crazy or uncivilized or something of that nature. Because you have civilization and the opposite of that would be the wild out there in the jungle or the desert or something like that where things are not civilized. Okay, But we also use the word wild just to mean crazy, you know, not orderly, you see? And then uh, I, think, I think what he said was, I play just as wild as I did back in the day. And the expression back in the day uh, just means in the past. It's, a, it's an expression that means in the past. So back in the day, I used to play football a lot. It means many years ago or when I was younger. You know what I'm saying? I used to play football a lot back in the day. And then uh, Joe Rogan said something like, uh, you go hard. Now, go hard is an expression that just means you give a lot of effort. You know, you give 110%. You know, you, you try extremely, extremely hard to do something. You're going hard, okay? And then he said, he said you play like you've got rabies. Now, just in case you don't know, rabies is uh, it's actually a deadly virus that causes inflammation to your brain. And uh, the way you get this virus is normally like if a raccoon or a wild dog or um, maybe a, a rat or something like that bites you. If a, if a wild animal bites you and they have this virus, then they transmit um, the virus to you and... If you don't seek medical attention, you'll, you'll probably die. So what he's trying to say is because it, an animal or a, a human that has rabies, you know, I guess they start to go a little crazy mentally. So when he's saying you play like you've got rabies, he's saying you play extremely crazy. You know, you're all over the place. You look like you're possessed by some demon or something like that just because he uses so much energy and force and he plays in such a wild fashion. You know what I'm saying? You know, and then he went on to say smashing the drums. Now, smashing the drums just basically to smash something means to um, to hit something very, very hard with the intention of breaking it. You know what I'm saying? Like um, you can smash a window or something like that, which means you hit it really hard and you break it and smashes into pieces. You know, so smashing the drums means you're boom, 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 hitting the drums really hard. And um, a phrasal verb that Joe used was take something up. Now, to take something up means to learn something. For example, if I'm taking up the drums, it means I'm learning how to play the drums. You see what I'm saying? Um, and then Travis says, you know, talking about uh, his stamina, I guess, he says you have to pace yourself. You've got to pace yourself. And what that means is basically to conserve your energy in a way that that allows you to do something for a longer amount of time like if you're running a marathon you can't run at 100% capacity full speed the entire marathon you got to pace yourself you know what i'm saying you got to go a little bit slower and conserve your energy so that you can run the entire race we call that pacing yourself you know um let me see I practice on my own just drill. Yeah. So then uh, Travis was talking about how he doesn't like to practice a lot with his band. He doesn't like to practice the songs that he performs a lot. He likes to just practice by himself, but just random drum cadences. And then he says, just drill. 
and to drill in this context means just to 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 practice with various repetitions. Call that drilling. You see what I'm saying? Like for example, a fire drill in school, we have this thing called a fire drill. And that is basically when we act as if there's a fire in the building and we practice what we are going to do if there really is a fire one day. So the fire alarm goes off and then all the students in the building, they basically exit or they leave the building in an orderly fashion the same way they would do if there really were a fire in the building. It's just a drill. It's a practice it's a simulation, you know what I'm saying? So what he's saying is he simulates or he drills or he practices a lot by himself, okay? And then he says, um, I like freaking it on the fly, you know, or making something up on the spot. And that's just a, f- uh, not a funny way, but it's uh, just a different way of saying I like improvising on the fly. And on the fly means kind of like... Um, it kind of means something that wasn't planned. So if I improvise on the fly, it means I wasn't planning to, but just all of a sudden, I decide to improvise on the fly. And then one, the last word that he mentioned was catering. He said, you know, catering is ready if you want to eat. And catering is, um, it's like when there's an event, a formal event, like a concert or a banquet or a ceremony, normally there's a company that, that you can call and they'll come to your event and they'll bring food so that everyone can eat. We call that catering. Okay. So goddamn, we're 20 minutes in. I did not plan to spend this much time explaining. So I got to hurry up here. Let's get into the next person, uh, from, or for today's podcast, which is be real. The name of this guy is be real. Now he's best known as the lead rapper for the group, Cypress Hill. Okay. Now, Be Real was born in Los Angeles, California. And in this uh, audio clip, also from the Joe Rogan experience, Be Real talks about the health of his lungs, despite the fact that he smokes large amounts of weed on a regular basis. And he also basically talks about how uh, music influenced his life. Okay. So let's get into it now. The Joe Rogan experience. You know, occasionally I'll have my lungs checked and they tell me they're great. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's crazy. You know, because I think if <laughs> if you keep active, you know, like you train and and, and uh, a lot of us train now. Like uh, this generation, they're not like lazy stoners. They don't just yeah. sit back and do nothing. There still are those. But, you know, I, I don't think it has the, the same carcinogens as, you know, people expected. You know, like cigarette. It doesn't. And so, you know, you might look at someone's lungs who who smokes cigarettes and and you might see something there and like, hey, you need to, you know, slow the fuck down over here. But in in every time that I've had my lungs checked or whatever for whatever, whether I've, you know, gotten sick or whatever, they're, they're always telling me lungs are in good shape. And it's a funny thing because, you know, in I think in 1987, you know, I was 17 and I was gang banging. I got shot and, you know, the I got hit by a 22 and, and it, as hollow points do, it, um, it, it broke into three, three pieces, the hollow point. And one of them punctured 
my my lung on my left side and uh you know they were telling me uh well you know um do you smoke um, no nah, i don't really smoke because i didn't smoke cigarettes i smoked weed but i wasn't gonna divulge that at the time i was 17 and you know and uh they said well you know well that's good because you'll never smoke again it was like you, you they punctured your lung and blah 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 they thought I was going to have to work off one lung. But in the three days, you know, they were able to get the blood out of the lung and I was able to get it back, you know, through the exercises they told me, you know, to get it back to its regular size. And I've never had a problem since then. Knock on wood. Did they wood. take the piece of metal out? No, I still got the three pieces. That's like when I go do my physicals and they do the, you know, the MRI, the MRIs and the x-rays and all that. The doctors, you know, sometimes they forget because they see so many patients. Say, Mr. Freeze, um, these appear to be bullet fragments. What, what is that? Well, you just said it, doctor, bullet fragments. <laughs> You've seen them a dozen times, you know, and uh, yeah, I, I was very lucky. I was very lucky because, you know, punctured my lung and then two of the pieces, one was by the heart and one was by my spine. But I was at uh, Martin Luther King Hospital in Linwood, and we call that place Killer King because you go in there for something small and end up dying or come out, you know, gimped out or something. So, you know, I wasn't going to allow them to try and get to those bullets or those fragments to open you up yeah no 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 because you know they didn't have a great success rate what kind of lung exercise they give you try to pump your lungs back up. they give you this breathing apparatus that has like a ball in it right and it has two lines and you know the, it's the, the first line you're trying to they're telling you every day for five minutes to ten minutes to blow that you know not all in one shot but like to keep practicing getting the ball up there and that will in help inflate the lung and get it back. So I had to do that for probably like three weeks. And, uh, you know, and the puncture wound, it healed itself pretty much. And uh, and the pieces are still in your lung? Not in the lung. No, it's it, it went past the lung. It, oh. it shot past the lung. So, you know, it's uh, I got a piece up here and one off to the it? side in the back. Well, when it's really cold due to the 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 nerve damage i'll get like stinging like you know like when you're when your hand falls asleep the little mm. needles the yeah i'll get that here and then and then back here where it entered they oh. had to they had to cut right in between a rib here to stick the tube in to put the the hose into the lung to get the blood out of the lung damn yeah I was, you know, i was living crazy before i got into the music the music saved my life pretty much all right, so that was Be Real. Again, he's from Los Angeles, California. And really quick, I just want to run through a few words and phrases that he used just so uh, I can make sure you understand everything he said. Now, at one point, he said something like, you, if you're in shape. Now, to be in shape basically means to be physically healthy. You know, like a lot of times you'll hear somebody say, I'm trying to get in shape. And what they mean, maybe they're a little fat, maybe um, they don't have much stamina. So they're trying to physically exercise their body so that, you know, they're physically healthy and they, they can be active very easily. You know what I'm saying? That means to be in shape. Now, gangbanging is, how can I say, a gang is basically an organized group of criminals, right? So gangbanging is basically 
getting involved in uh, or participating in criminal activities with this group of criminals. You know what I'm saying? That's gangbanging. Now, let me see. He said, I got shot. I got shot is the past tense of I get shot. You know, when somebody takes a gun and they shoot you, you get shot. So I got shot is just the past tense of that uh, action or that situation, right? And then he said, I got hit by a 22. So if you get shot, you can also say, I got hit, like the bullet hits you. The bullet from the gun hits you. And a 22 is a type of bullet. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a very low caliber bullet um, that you shoot from a gun. So he's saying, I got hit by a 22 caliber bullet is basically what he's saying. And then he mentioned hollow points. Now, hollow points are a type of bullet. And um, they're, they're very well known because when a hollow point hits your body, when it enters your body, it breaks into pieces on purpose. I mean, that, I guess that's the function. I guess that's why the bullets were made that way. It's because when they enter your body, they break into pieces, which makes it much more difficult for a surgeon or something like that to remove the bullets from your body, which highly increases the chance that you die. Okay. And then he said the bullets punctured his lung. Now, puncture is basically another word for pierce or or maybe rip or break. So if, if a bullet punctures your lung, it basically means it, it opens your lung. How can I say that? It enters your lung and then, and then opens it. So now there's a hole. You see what I'm saying? Your, your, your lung has been punctured or pierced. The same way you pierce your ears with earrings. Just imagine that except a bullet in your fucking lung. Not good. And then he said uh, the word divulge. Divulge basically just means to share or, yeah, to share. So he said, I wasn't going to divulge that or divulge that information. Basically just means I wasn't going to share that information. All right. Cool. So next up, next up in this West Coast podcast is Janae Aiko. Janae Aiko. Now she is best known as a singer and a songwriter and she is from Los Angeles, California. Okay. Now, in this audio clip um, from an interview that she did, Janae answers some interview questions about how she got started writing songs, and also she talks a little bit about her personality as well. Okay. So let's get to it. Let's talk a little bit about your songwriting. Um, I really like what you do because it's personal and it's well structured to the point of being poetic. Tell me about what inspires your, your songwriting and how long you've been songwriting, you know, writing your own songs. Mm -hmm. I actually wrote my first, it was a rap, actually. I was Whoa. like five years old and I didn't, I wasn't writing yet. Mm. And I sat down with my mom and just told her like what I wanted to say. And she wrote it out for me. It was like a, like eight bar rap. I'm not gonna do it right You now. know I was about to ask you about that rap. I mean, you want me to do it? <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is exactly how I want it. It's the J. Uh, the really funky one. I could wrap you up in every single way. Can I play? Yes, I can. You can see me like every single day. Come on, don't you want to play? If you be like me, you a G. Uh. And I made her write. I made her write the uh part. <laughs> so anyway, that was my first rap at five years old. And um, ever since then, though, I just fell in love with like 
in school, like English was always my favorite favorite subject, and just anything that had to do with writing, mm. whether it be like an essay or poems or you know short stories. And so now, you know, I pretty much just combine two of my passions, singing and writing. And a lot of the times, you know, it'll start off as like either like a diary entry or a poem. Mm. And now that this is my job, I have everything that I write just turns into a song. But I know you have multiple personalities, right? I know there's this Janae, it's Shay Hennessy. Tell me about these different personalities yeah. and what comes out through them. I'm into astrology mm. and I am a Pisces, and the Pisces symbol on my wrist, um, two fish going in different directions. So not only is it like a dual thing, but it's like, it's almost worse than a Gemini because hmm. they're like completely different. You know, everyone has the angel and the devil on their shoulder, mm -hmm. but only certain people, you know, are, aren't afraid to express that. and. I'll, you know, today my favorite color might be blue, but tomorrow it'll be green. And I'll say that, and mm -hmm. it'll seem like I'm crazy, but it's just like, I changed my mind. Like, why not? Like, why can't I change my mind? So in my music, you know, I like, always like to have lyrics that are open for interpretation or that that, that can mean two or three things. Mm. <laughs> so, so Jay Hennessy is, is cool. And Jay Hennessy is, she's, <laughs> Well, how my name is spelled, J-H-E-N-E. -E. I had a friend in middle school, Chutney, who used to call me Jay Henny. <laughs> and when I grew up, Hennessy was like my drink of choice. So Jay Hennessy is like who I become when I sip a little bit of Hennessy and I feel like freestyling. And I'm never, I never really take it like super, super serious. Like, oh, I'm about to spit these bars right now. Like, but. Sometimes they ha they end up being really good, but it's like it's still like a joke to me. But that's maybe my more aggressive side, Jay Hennessy. Mm -hmm. She's still laid back though. Aiko is my you know peaceful zen side. my peaceful zen side. Yeah, yeah. Ifuru, who, which is my second middle name. Um, it's an African middle name. Yeah, is that like West African, like uh, Nigerian maybe? I think it might be Nigerian. Interesting. Okay. Um, and she's. She has another person. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot of them. <laughs> but, yeah, they're all me. I, I, I like that. You know, I follow you on Instagram. I'm not ashamed to say that. <laughs> um, and I notice uh, every now and then you'll post a picture uh, of some text you're reading, right? Mm -hmm. And I see, like, you have this, this focus on not just self-improvement, but almost kind of like a, almost like a Buddhist kind of approach mm -hmm. to life. Tell me uh, how that came about and tell me about that, that, that kind of mentality you have. Yeah, um, I'm a quarter Japanese, uh -huh. and I grew up around like a lot of different religions and cultures because my family's just mixed uh -huh. race. Like, there's so much going on, and Buddhism though is one of the first things I was introduced to, and I always just liked to read about it and sort of I adapted a lot of their ways in my life, I guess. Um, I was also baptized as, as a Christian when I was like 15, 16. And I don't know, I just draw the parallels with everything that I read. I like to just have an open mind and make the connections because I kind of feel like they all sort of just are telling you to be a good person, you uh -huh, know what I mean? And uh -huh. it's not that hard to know what feels right, like when you're doing something right uh -huh. for the greater good. And that's all, what it's all about. All right, so that was... Uh... J. 
Janae Aiko, one more time. She's from Los Angeles, California, a very popular singer and songwriter. Now, after listening to that clip, I really couldn't think of anything in particular that uh, would be difficult to understand, except maybe she talked about before she started singing, she actually wrote a couple rap songs, and she said that um, sometimes she would be freestyling. Now, freestyling basically means to to rap without writing anything down. You're just saying whatever comes to your mind in the moment. You're just rhyming words however you can in the moment. That's freestyling, you know, rapping without any format, you know. And um, she said, uh, I'm going to spit these bars. Now, that's kind of like slang or it's kind of like lingo for saying I'm going to rap these words or rap these song lines, you know what I'm saying? Because a bar in music is four beats, you know, four counts. So one, two, three, four, that's a bar. So a lot of times you'll hear rappers say bars, just talking, I mean, referring to the musical beat. You see what I'm saying? Because for every four bars, normally you have one line of words. You see what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, but other than that, I really couldn't think of anything that you couldn't understand. But um, like I've said before in many podcasts, if you ever have questions or doubts, man, feel free to contact me at EnglishWithKaizen at gmail.com or on Instagram, Americano da Gema. You know, there's ways to get in contact with me, man. Don't be shy. Don't be afraid. Reach out, man. Contact me. I'd love to help. So let's get on to the next person, man. Uh in this West Coast lineup, which is Steve Aoki, okay? Now, Steve Aoki is best known as a music producer and, and a DJ. Uh, he was born in Miami, Florida, but he grew up in Newport Beach, California. And I'm sure most of you have heard of the famous Orange County. Newport Beach is in Orange County, California, okay? Um now, just a quick fun fact. I mean, this obviously doesn't say much about who he is as a person, but if you've heard of the famous restaurant Benihana's, okay, it's, it's like a it's, a, it's a famous restaurant where you can go and get, real, I think it's Japanese food, I'm pretty sure, but don't quote me on that. I know it's Asian food where you can go and you watch the chef cook the food right in front of you, you know, and then he just serves it to you. Um, I can't remember the name of that type of restaurant, but Benihana's is that type of restaurant. And the owner, how can I say this? Steve Aoki is the son of the founder and creator of that restaurant, Benihana's. Um, I'm probably going to put links and information to all these people in the show notes. AmericanoDajema.com slash show 20. That's AmericanoDajema.com slash show 20. Uh, I'm also thinking about creating a website just for the podcast where you can go read all the show notes, have all the episodes there, you know, because this web, this podcast isn't just for Portuguese speakers, you know, it's for all English learners. But anyway, Steve Aoki, I'm getting off track a lot today, man. My apologies. Steve Aoki, um, from Newport Beach, California, basically. And in this interview, he talks about his lack of of athletic ability when he was a kid and also his experience growing up as a kid, you know, in a, in a less than traditional situation. Okay. So let's get to it. Um, honestly, I've tried 
every sport, every like uh, traditional sport, and I just wasn't. I tried. I did try football. That just didn't work out for me. I tried um, wrestling because my dad was a wrestler. That didn't work out. I went to the hospital like after like the first match or something. Um, none of these like traditional sports worked out. I mean, that was the one sport that I actually won a few games at, but. Wikipedia does, you know, it's not necessarily totally true. I wasn't a star, you know, I wouldn't call myself a star. I just like, I was on the team. Really like the sports I excelled at were the non-traditional sports. Like, like I was a skater. I was a, a huge snowboard advocate, enthusiast. Um, when I was a kid, all I wanted to do was become a professional snowboarder. And surfing, you know, that, that's really like where like all my time and attention went to outside of music. So my dad, he was um, like, you know, my mom raised me, but my dad would get all of his kids together on trips. And, um, and then we would have these amazing adventures across the world, hanging out with, you know, pops. And uh, I learned a lot from him. You know, I, I mean, his work ethic was, you know, nothing like I've ever seen. Um, he's always, putting that drive in his kids. And uh, I mean, he was, I think part of his genius in his restaurateur business was just being a marketing guru. Like he was just a really um, clever strategist and he was very sharp and he was doing very like out of the ordinary stunts that a restaurateur normally wouldn't do. Like, you know, race hot air balloons or offshore power boats, you know, things like that, that we're like, what? It's like kind of, you know, he's a restaurant, he's a restaurant guy. So, uh, you know, he was, he was just like a very interesting person to look up to, being your father and then like seeing, you know, like waking up and all of a sudden you're in a hot air balloon uh, track in the middle of like a, of like a farmland in, in, some, in Belgium or like, go, you know, traveling across Japan and you know, watching him do all this other stuff. So I really uh, got to see an inside, you know, scoop of, of his uh, his ethic and you know, all of his stuff that he was doing at the time. To, for the record, uh, for the record, he actually never gave me any financial. Uh, he never actually gave me anything financial. There was no investing. Uh, there was there's nothing that he like. He never gave me gave any of his kids anything. Even presents, like there were, I mean, the presents that he would give me would be like, oh yeah, here's a jacket, you know, like you know, like a normal present. So you don't think like, yo man, I just got a Ferrari, you know, when he had like a whole uh, entourage of cars, you know, like I mean, he was a very flamboyant, extravagant man. Like he had all kinds of cars, but he wouldn't be like, all right, so son, when you're 16, you're gonna get this Ferrari growing up. Um, you know, when you're young, you're like, oh, maybe I can get that, but it would never happen, and it never did. My first car was an Isuzu Rodeo that my brother bought in a police auction for $7,000, and my mom bought off my brother to give to me. So if anything, my mom spoiled me more than my dad, you know, by far. But the one thing that my dad did do uh, financially that I will, you know, to this day will always remember and, and, uh, and always respect is that he paid for half my education. And my mom paid for the other half of my education for, for being in, uh, you know, having a double major, uh, five years undergrad at, at uh, UCSB. 
And um, instead of like, you know, being stuck with student loans and dealing with that, I had my parents to deal with that. And that was, that was, a, really, that was a really great blessing to have. So uh, yeah, I was very fortunate. I think in the end, that kind of, that kind of rearing as a parent, um, you know, really trains properly, you know, your kids to, to live in a real world instead of something where, you know, because life isn't easy and it shouldn't be. And you can't, if you can't, if you don't learn to struggle, you won't be able to uh, deal with failure and deal with, deal with things that are going to happen. And I've like, you know, I've, I've hit the pavement and scraped the side of my face 10,000 times. And, and like the only person that, you know, I could pick myself up was me. And so if I didn't learn how to do that, I don't think I would have a business for 19 years with Dimmock Records, you know, finally being a successful self-sustaining business or, you know, uh, you know, deal with this very, very grueling schedule, which I absolutely love. And it's not like no one's putting me in it. Like when I do 250 or 300 shows a year as a DJ, it's because I want to be in it. And I'm not complaining. You know, no matter how tired I am, the last thing I want to do is complain. And that's the one thing I've learned is that, you know, if you figure it out yourself and how to get there, you will, you will, um, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll understand the, the glory of like all the good stuff that's coming your way. You'll, you'll take the value and, and really cherish it. So it's different. All right. So once again, that was Steve Aoki from Newport Beach, California. A uh, very well-known music producer and DJ. Uh, he works a lot with rap artists as well, I believe. But he makes a lot of like electronic and dance music, you know, stuff like that. But anyway, um, just to talk about a few things that he said that maybe you've never heard before. He used the word pops. Okay, now pops is just another word for dad. I don't know where it comes from. I really don't know why we say it. But you may hear a lot of people refer to their father or their dad as pops like hey what's up pops like my brother for example um whenever we're on the phone me him and my dad he calls my dad pop you know like i said i don't know where it comes from but just so you know in this context that's what it means and then uh he talked about the way his father put that drive in his kids now to to put drive in someone the word drive in this context basically means desire and ambition and 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 energy and work ethic so when you put drive into your kids basically what you're putting into them is the desire and the ambition to go after something to go achieve something to be somebody you know what i'm saying to do something with their lives you know so somebody who has drive has all of that inside of them the desire to go do more be more and achieve more you know and then he he also mentioned a hot air balloon a hot air balloon. Now, I'm trying to think of a good way to explain this to you. A hot air balloon is basically, it's actually a vehicle when you stop and think about it, but it's a giant, giant, giant balloon, okay? And I have no idea how to explain to you what a balloon is, so I'm just going to spell it and you can search for it in your free time. B-A-L-L-O-O-N, balloon, okay? So a hot air balloon is this giant giant balloon that literally gets filled with and also travels using 
hot air. Okay, so there's a little there's a little flame, actually a big flame, that you turn on, and then the balloon fills up with hot air. And since hot air rises, you can literally travel with this balloon using just hot air and the wind. It's actually pretty crazy when you stop and think about it. Um, anyway, he also said that his mom spoiled him, you know, because like I said, his father is the founder and creator of this this incredibly famous and expensive restaurant, Benihana's. So many people would think, oh, you're the son of this famous entrepreneur, this businessman. You must have grown up with millions of dollars and Ferraris and Rolex watches and Louis Vuitton bed sheets and all this crazy shit. But what he's saying is that his father actually didn't give him any financial support. I mean, his father paid for 50% of his college education, but that was it. He didn't buy him any fancy things, no expensive presents. He was saying his mother actually spoiled him more than his father. And in English, when we say to spoil someone, it basically means to to do everything for them, to treat them almost too well. You know, for example, let's say I'm a millionaire and I have kids, so I buy them all the new iPhones, I buy them all the newest clothes, Louis Vuitton and Gucci and Fendi, and I buy them Ferraris when they turn 16 and we live in a mansion, and they never have to struggle. They never have to work for anything. They never, they never, how can I say? They never have any difficulties in life. That means I spoiled them, you know? And just to give you a, a, more, a more clear idea of what this word means, we also use the word spoil for food, that has gone bad. For example, fruit or vegetables or meat. Like if you leave fruit uh, or meat out of the refrigerator for a long time, eventually it becomes rotten. You can't eat it anymore or else you'll get sick. The food has gone bad, which means the food has spoiled, right? So if you look at your kids, like their food, right? If you, if you don't cultivate them well, if you don't treat them well, if you don't take care of them the way that they should be taken care of, you end up spoiling them. They're no good, right? They're no good for anything. They, they serve no purpose. You can't use them. You see what I'm saying? Hopefully that makes sense. And hopefully I didn't over explain that. My bad. Now, the last phrase that he used in this audio clip was that rearing as a parent. And basically what he means is that style of parenting, that that um, that tough or maybe disciplined way of raising your children is actually good for your children because it puts that drive into them. You know what I'm saying? It prepares them for the future, which inevitably is going to be difficult. You see what I'm saying? All right. So let's get to the last person in this West Coast lineup. I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. We're about 50 minutes in. And uh, we're here at the last person. Now, our last guest today goes by the name of HER, H-E-R. Now, that's an acronym, okay? So each letter in the acronym represents something. And she's actually going to tell you in this audio clip what H-E-R represents, okay? Now, HER, she's best known as a singer and songwriter from Vallejo, California. Okay, now... Vallejo is basically the Bay Area, what we call the Bay Area of California. And we call it the Bay Area because 
it's very close to the San Francisco Bay. So Vallejo, California is about 50 kilometers from San Francisco, which is like, you know, 30, 40 minutes by car with no traffic, right? But anyway, she's from, you could say the Bay Area, San Francisco, Oakland, Vallejo is pretty much all the same region, all right? And in this audio clip or this interview, she talks about where her name came from and also how she got started in the music industry, all right? Let's go. We are here on Apple Music Beats 1. Up next artist, Her, which means what again? Having everything revealed. Why did you choose that? Let's start there. So it really came from this period of time where I was going through, you know, changes that a young woman goes through. I was 15, 16, 17, and just like figuring out, figuring out who I was and like um, saying to myself, I'll never be that girl that falls for the wrong guy. You know, looking at, I have so many big sisters in my life, like big sister figures. And I looked at them and I said, I'll never be, you know, I'll never make the mistakes that they make. You know, I'll, I'm, I'm going to do things differently. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm not going to fall for the, the, <laughs> the wrong guy. I'm not going to get my heart broken. And I ended up being her. I ended up being uh -huh. that girl. And it was very hard for me being 16, 17. Yeah. About 16, 17. And like, being uncomfortable like you know you you start to form insecurities and you start to you start to feel things that you never felt before and 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 heartbreak can can almost make you feel jaded and feel like oh it's the end of the world you know when you're a teenager and when you're really young you feel like it's the end of the world but it really is not and being anonymous and and being her was the best way for me to present my music in that way nobody could could make any uh assumptions you know, my age, what I look like, you know, my ethnicity, all this stuff that really doesn't matter when it comes to the message. You've been around this music thing. You're not new to this. Yeah. How long were you waiting in the wings for your opportunity? I mean, I guess my whole life, you know, I, I started at a really, really young age, but I guess I was never waiting because music was what I was doing naturally. Exactly. And it was just, just what I did for fun. And as a kid, you know, I would play music and I, I would play with my dad or I would, I would have a performance or some kind of talent show. And the very next day I'd be on a playground, you know, playing with, with other kids, you know, feeling like a kid. And um, I got signed when I was 14 years old. And um, like I said, I was in school, you know, I was in school just growing up and, and figuring out who I was because at 14, you don't know who you are, who you're going to be. Um, and music was just always there and it just never stopped. It was, there was never a question of what else I was going to do. And I, I guess it got to a point where I was like 17, you know, 16, like, Oh, maybe should I, I should go to college. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm creating these songs and I, I don't know, you know, where it's going to take me. And I, I finally figured out what I wanted to do. And that was her. It was the evolution of women. It was me being totally honest and open and just writing a diary and making that, making that my, my story and, and releasing that and then and seeing what happens. Yeah. And two years later, you know, even a year later, I was on tour with Bryson Tiller and everything started happening. So it was really, you know, no pun intended, God's plan. Like it yeah. was really the path that was made for me. And I knew it at a young age and didn't know that I knew it until I made volume one. It was confirmed. Yes, exactly. Why did you decide to put out this six-song EP? So, this EP... And this is your third project yeah. as her. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. 
my third project. Period. Yeah. yeah and yeah. um, this project, honestly, these six songs, I, I really just felt the need to release because I haven't released music in a while. But what's crazy is like volume one and volume two are still in the top 10 yeah. and people are still- It feels current. Discovering it. Yeah. And, yeah, right. And um, this project, I think, was just, you know, a continuation and elevation of that. And it's a sneak peek of the album as well. Um, but I, I felt like it was the perfect time. And these were songs that I needed people to hear. And it's a story that I need to, needed to tell. So I love that. What's one of your favorite records off this EP? I don't even have a favorite. I mean... First thing that comes to your mind, go. Against Me. Yeah, why? Because that song, you know, I am I love spoken word. I grew up, you know, writing poetry, listening to poets. And I'm doing something different. You know, it's it's like Pigment Part 2 in a way. Um, because I have the spoken word in there, but I think it's just very, very personal, very, very emotional. And I love that other women are like, wow, I feel you on that. You know, I felt like oh, I'm not alone. You know, I'm not the only one that feels this way. So I guess that's my favorite song. All right. So once again, that was her from Vallejo, California, a uh, very popular singer and songwriter. I'm a huge fan of her music and I highly recommend that you check it out. Now, from that audio clip, the only thing I could think that I would need to explain to you is she said uh, two things, actually. The first one was she said that she really likes spoken word poetry. Now, spoken word poetry is basically, it's like sometimes you, you, you'll have these events where you can go and listen to people read poetry out loud, right? They They stand in front of a crowd as if it were some kind of like a like a concert. Except obviously there's no music, there's nothing like that. They're just saying poetry or speaking poetry, hence the name spoken word. Um, most of the time they're not reading. You know, they just memorize the poems or something like that. They stand in front of the crowd and they recite or they say their poems. That's spoken word. Now, the second thing she said was, uh, I feel you on that. You know, she said that her favorite song I think was, um, shit, I forgot the name. Anyway, she mentioned what her favorite song was, and then she said she really liked it because other women would listen to the song and say, I feel you on that. And I feel you basically means I understand you, or I can empathize, I can relate to what you're saying. You know, it's, it's slang. It's an expression that just means I understand. Yeah, I feel you. You know what I'm saying? So... Um, those are really the only two things I could think of that I might need to explain to you. Hopefully you understood everything. If you don't, or I should say, if you didn't, uh, you know how to get in contact with me. Don't be afraid. Don't ever be afraid to, um, reach out to me, ask questions. You know what I'm saying? But, um, that's it, man. Hopefully, I really, really hope that you enjoyed this podcast, that uh, it was something new and different for you. I'm, I'm still, you know, this is episode number 20 but still just experimenting with the podcast, seeing what works and what doesn't work, you know, um, trying to find new and interesting things to expose you to. And also, obviously, help you improve your English comprehension skills uh, and increase your vocabulary at the same time. You know what I'm saying? And really just just share new ideas and information with you, even if it's not. I mean, you learn English regardless just by listening to the podcast, but hopefully I can involve other subjects and ideas that um, just make you think or wonder. You know what I'm saying? This is life in English. You feel me? 
But um, yeah, like I said, that's it for now, man. So I think the next podcast will be focusing on the accent from down south. And again, that's like Texas, Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, Georgia, even Florida is considered the south. It's not considered the east coast. Uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, you know, some people consider Virginia the south, you know. So I think that's the region we're going to focus on in the next podcast. And you'll see it's very different from the accents and the dialects that you've heard today in this podcast. You know, like I said before, a lot of people think that the West Coast accent is probably the clearest and the easiest to understand of all the accents and dialects that you find here or I guess not here because I'm in Brazil right now, but the, all the accents that you find in the United States of America. All right. But um, I can't think of anything else, man. So once again, I really hope you enjoyed. Um, thank you for being here, man. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really hope that you can take something from it. And uh, I'll talk to you again soon. All right. Peace. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 